The Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. How's it going over there? How is it going? Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Just nonstop. Sometimes it's like doggy paddling, right? It's just, just trying to get air, just keep alive, just keep going. But then I don't know where the land is. <laughs> it just feels like an endless ocean. Where's the land? It's productive though, being in the ocean, right? I mean, it, like it, you're not drowning. I'm not drowning, but it just feels like there's a lot my plate and it's all good things there's nothing that is coming from a bad thing it's a lot of parenting there's a lot of work there's a lot of life management relationships where you gotta like keep up socially like all that stuff just works require it requires time and effort and there's a limited amount of time is business good it. business is great yeah busy i feel like i was just telling somebody i feel like there should be badges like in the boy scouts for therapists like when you do something hard that you've never done before <laughs> that work like I had to make a call today about domestic abuse case and first I had to call the mom and tell her that I was going to do it and that I was avoiding it so hard and after I hung up I'm like I want my badge like <laughs> I did it <laughs> I put it on my vest and now I have to call the hotline and I want my badge and um one time I had a client, a teenager who was so resistant and I said, I'm going to play her game. And I said, I'm going to, I said, well, what do you want to talk about today? And she said, nothing. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to play this game. And I said, okay, I'm going to sit in silence until she gets uncomfortable and breaks the silence. Holy shit. We sat for silence in 45 minutes. It was the hardest thing, but I like, needed to give her that space and also wow. to know, let her know that I was serious and not playing games but it was the hardest thing I've ever in my life done and it was really interesting to like listen to my self-talk that was going on for 45 minutes but um I should have gotten a badge for that 45 yeah minutes you should have it reminds me of that scene from Goodwill Hunting when they do they do that exact same thing and then the professor's like what is this just some type of staring contest for kids from the old neighborhood and he's like yeah and I can't lose Right. Exactly. Yeah. The therapist, he says that. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. How are you doing? What's new in your life? You know, dating scenes picking up again. I think because the seasons are changing, right? Or the moon was full at some point. So <laughs> everyone, <laughs> I got a couple calls, which was nice. Calls? Like people were checking their Rolodex? Women from my past. Oh. So that was nice. Past, past, past previous marriage or past seven months ago? One actually previous marriage uh, and uh, another from a couple months ago. Yeah. Several that always ago. feels good. It did feel good. feels really good. Yeah. yeah. It feels it's really like, good. That's exactly right. Back. That's exactly right. In some way. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. It sounds a little bit like an evil villain when you say it like that. But yeah. No, it's fine. <laughs> Any either of them were you happy to hear from where you thought <laughs> oh absolutely yeah I felt really good to hear from them well other than the ego boost but 
that's some that there's potential. Yes. Yeah. Which is a good feeling too, but I'm also just being precautious with it. I'm not investing a lot into it. And that's actually okay right now. Cause I just don't have a lot of energy of kind of, you know, I, it, it was a good coincidence that it happened because I've actually taken a real serious step back from the dating scene. I deleted uh, all the apps. I don't think it's a coincidence. You don't think it's a coincidence? Mm-mm. Because I deliberately step back, all of a sudden some other women step forward. I, I do believe in that type of energy. And I think that when you create the space for it and you step back, it's there's actually this, it's attractive. Uh, I don't know entirely how to explain it, but I have seen it multiple times. I've experienced it. And it's almost this like, when we chase after something in an unhealthy way, it's, it's not attractive, you know, like it repels in, in a certain degree. And then when taking a step back and being more healthy with where you are and giving yourself that time and space, I think allows things to come in in a more natural way. I agree. So gone, all the apps are gone. Yep. I've done that. Feels so good, but it's like an addiction. It's hard. Like you pick up your phone and <laughs> it's, it's a hard, it's a hard withdrawals, right? <laughs> what do you do instead? I listen to music. I just kind of go on and I try to find music and music and music, or I listen to Audible. Mm. So I'm burning through some books right now, which is good. That's great. But don't you need, like, for me, it was my hands. Like, there was a, a, lit- a literal. Um, well, because what I can like, do with uh, the music, well, when I yeah. scroll through the music, that's what I'm doing with my thumbs. But when I listen to Audible or something like that, I can put the phone down and do something else. Right. So, like, I can go and I can garden a little bit. Right, I got it. into the flowers that I'm nice. going, or I could do laundry. I could be cleaning the house, but the point is that I could put the phone down. Right. So you distract yourself. It's out of my hand entirely. Yeah. Right. Literally. I'm figuring Literally. Um, for me, I would swipe often when I was in the car because Florida has really bad. Uh, oh yeah. Red lights. Yeah. So that's when I would swipe a lot. So to deal with my withdrawals, I would. Uh, I I taught myself ukulele in the car. Oh, that's impressive. <laughs> Yeah, I like because I'm like, what instrument can I sit in the car? And I would leave the ukulele in the car, and then instead of swiping, I would just play ukulele. It's very funny. Is it easy to learn how to play ukulele? I play guitar, so it's very easily transferable because it's just shapes and chords, and it's just learning, you know, more words. It's like learning English, but more words, and so you have the basis. But but it's pretty relatively easy, even if you don't have that foundation. It's you also a fun play instrument. guitar. I also play guitar yeah. oh my gosh. and piano. Oh my gosh. Uh, what we call a Renaissance woman, but I don't play any of them well. It's the story of my life. I do a lot of things in a mediocre or above average way, but nothing beyond that. Is that like you're a jack of all trades, master, master of none? Exactly. Um, yeah. I. It's funny because I grew up, as we've discussed often, religious and orthodox and I was always considered out of the box because I played guitar like a religious girl played guitar and so when I was shidduch dating that was pretty much every boy who was suggested to me was if he played guitar oh you play guitar I know the best girl for you guys are are a match made in heaven because you both play guitar because it was so strange in a way to develop a creative side if you grow up religious it's not, I was just no, wondering I, that. I was just yeah. wondering like how you were thought of in terms of being able to play the guitar at all. Out of the box. That was yeah. the term that was most often used to describe me. She's out of the box. <laughs> and honestly, I played guitar. 
<laughs> I wasn't into like I, I didn't go through any like phases. I didn't dress like strangely. It was only that I played guitar. I was out of the box. And maybe I was a little bit loud. Well, considering <laughs> that you were the third daughter as well, you know, it's not surprising that you also played guitar, I guess, in that way. Right? I'm like, listen to me. <laughs> I'm part I of this attention. family. I am unique. I am unique. Is piano not working? Okay. I'm not playing guitar. <laughs> Is guitar not working? Okay. I have a ukulele, people. <laughs> that was kind of like that. <laughs> Do you play an instrument? No. I'm terrible. I mean, I can strum a couple of chords on the guitar, but nothing that really puts anything together. Listen, um, if you want to seduce a woman, I have to learn how to play guitar. I try to be creative in other ways. Trombone, nothing sexy. (laughs) Trombone. What about art? What about art? (laughs) Can't you also be artistic in certain ways to try to impress a woman? Have you? Yes. Has it worked? I think so. Okay. What okay, have then. you created to impress a woman? I've, uh, I've made uh, paper mache flowers or paper tissue flowers. That's sweet. Thank was you. it for your mom? No. No, it wasn't for my mom. I made paper <laughs> tissue flowers uh, and they were of her favorite colors. So I asked her did what her favorite colors. Did she appreciate it? She did very much so, I think. Yes. That's really sweet. Wow. So let's talk about current events. You want to talk current events? We also have to talk love languages. We promised people. Oh. So in case they're listening. So we could do both. Okay. Okay. We've got a conflict of interest Since because the Gates just announced their impending divorce. And I think that's something worthwhile to talk about. Yeah. I'll tell you the question that's on my mind. And then maybe we can segue into love languages. And maybe we can make a way to make it work that it seemed really intentional that we have both <laughs> of these topics. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people think that the troubles in their marriage or their divorce happened because of obstacles that were too hard to surmount. And a lot of times that's financial. And we just couldn't, we just couldn't figure out how to navigate life's challenges. We couldn't make it work. If only we had more money. Exactly. So you'd imagine that people who have literally every resource at their disposal, including not just financial stuff, but access to top therapists, access to top mental health, to support, to private anything, vacations. You literally have no obstacle that can get in the way for relationship development or stress management or any of the other things that we as mere mortals (laughs) had to deal with. And then it's just an interesting question. As I was talking to somebody yesterday and he was like, like, he was almost in shock. He's like, if they can't make it, then what hope do any of us have? Interesting. Right? Hmm. Yeah. And then I thought, maybe there's a middle ground. Maybe we actually need some obstacles that you need to have this experience of getting through things together. So you need to have love languages. There we go. I did it. <laughs> uh, you need to be able to know the love languages and communicate and have shared values and vision. But if you don't have anything to overcome, what good does all of that shared language and connection and support do maybe you're just living two really happy lives without anything that you're dealing with together which sounds like a crazy thing but maybe that the reality is we need a little bit of struggle make this jewish know <laughs> i really like that i um i like the scenario that you presented there uh yeah because 
you could easily say, well, if only we had X, Y, and Z in our marriage, we could have ended up making it work. If only we had more time, if only we had more space, if only we had more money, whatever it is, resources available to us. And then in some ways, and it is an unstoppable force, right? There is no amount of anything that can keep a couple together, right? If it's not meant to be in that way. Uh, and yet, what does it take to actually work on it, right? How do you come to know the other person so well, right? Or at least how do you really want to invest your time with that person so that it's worthwhile for you to spend the rest of your life with that person, right? Toward mm -hmm. divorce, even if it is an option, right? You'd much rather be with that person in relationship with them in a deep and committed relationship with them. Yeah, and how do you make that Maybe that's it? how you really feel support. I really feel like somebody's by my side when we've gone through this together and survived. Not, but I don't know. Just because they're wealthy doesn't mean that they haven't gone through things, though. That's true. There's a certain there's a, there are certain challenges that do come with being incredibly wealthy. And maybe there isn't. A, maybe this is a completely mutual thing. Beyond it all, right? I mean, Bill. Oh, it can be mutual. I think the 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 question is how if they can't make it work how can the rest of us make it work like if you have every resource at your disposal then then how are you not able to make it work whether it was mutual or one person wanted it um it just seems like that is a relevant question here to ask maybe it just proves that some relationships aren't meant to be no matter what they were married for 27 years and there is no magic bullet to it in that way but what are the things, right? The non-material things in that way that can enhance a relationship, right? That really are universal to everyone. Because it would be easy to say, like we have before already, that if only had X, Y, and Z resource, but you know what, you don't, okay? You have the resources that you have. Mm -hmm. What are the universal ones that exist within all relationships? And those are the love languages that I think we're speaking of, right? How do you connect with someone so much so that they want to be in relationship with you in that way? What are those love languages? I, I, I question this. I'm a big believer in love languages. And yeah. for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what the love languages are, it's words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, time together, and acts of service. And I question and sometimes I wonder, is this too simplistic? But are the relationships that struggle, the ones where the partners have different love languages and it's just too hard to really learn that language fluently? And maybe the ones that are more successful are the ones where the two people have similar love languages and it's just easy to express love and feel love. Yeah. And do you really know what your love languages are so much so that you can communicate that outwardly to your partner? Oh, were you going to guess my love language? I think we we're going to try to guess each other's love language. Okay. And as okay. we're doing this, by the way, I'm trying to think about the love languages that's spoken potentially between biblical characters. Uh, oh, that's what the, a whole, I think that's what, a whole different podcast now. <laughs> it is, but I'm just saying, if we're on the topic, I should have done some research. I'll have to. I don't know. Is there enough in information way? to infer that in the Bible? I would say I pretty know. much physical touch is what we, <laughs> what we get. That's the, the only thing that we have. have in terms of love expressed. No, there's got to be other things as well. There's bound to There's be some other. words. I think Jacob expressed words to his wives. I think. Yes. I don't know. The problem with the Bible is that it's so um, 
there's bound to be some midrash theme on this. Right, like the, the 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 narrative is so concise, and that's why there's so much extrapolation on it. But there, you have to. There's a lot of interpretive stuff going on there. Yeah, it would be hard. Anyway, All back right, to I'm gonna have to look into this. But uh, love talk. languages. So mm-hmm. let me guess your love language. Okay. Acts of service. Nope. Damn. All right. Um, I can I can tell you. We can get one guess. Uh, words of affirmation. I was my next guess. That would have been the right one. That was my next guess. Okay. Why words of affirmation? Oh, this is for the psychoanalyst couch. <laughs> <laughs> Not for a podcast for public consumption? Um, I, and I really give a lot of thought to love languages. I, I, I wonder if there's more theory out there about it because I wonder, do we develop our love languages in context to how we were raised? either from what we're used to or in trying to get something that we didn't get, or is it completely irrelevant? It's just a factor of personality, environment, social, you know, upbringing, all of those factors. But um, my dad gave love very effusively with words. Hmm. And so if I were to make that connection, maybe that's what it is, is that he was the more demonstrative one in love between the two parents and um, his language was words. Mm. And there was always that attempt to get that from him. Like, how can I make him proud? How can I get those words? And he was over the top with his words. Like when he was in a good mood and loving, he was very hyperbolic. You're the prettiest and most beautiful and the best and most wonderful and most talented. So it was oh. so over the top. Um, and I maybe that's where it came from. That's really nice. Okay, let's see yours. It might be time or acts of service. It is. It's time, actually. And I, okay. actually, and I also did a quiz this morning. Um, yeah, it was about, it time? Uh, yeah. But it gave me like a breakdown. My primary love language is quality time. And, and this is true, right? I had, a, yeah. I had a sense that like it wasn't just one. I'm sure this is true for a lot of people. Out of yeah. five, right? It's not just one. So 33% of me wants quality time. Then 20%, 27% of me wants words of affirmation. So it's pretty, you know, almost divided evenly. And then 20% is physical touch. And then it's receiving gifts minor, and acts of service. Minor affirmation and touch. So those are my top two. Yeah. Did you and your ex have the same love language? I don't think so. Because I'm pretty sure hers was receiving gifts. <laughs> that's the rarest one. Is it? The rare. That's when I tell people, the love languages, that's the one that's always knocked off. No, it's not gifts. People like getting gifts. I love getting gifts, but it doesn't, the way I describe it is what lights your love button. Like what inside makes you feel mushy and like, oh, you know, they get it. So gifts are great. I feel great, but it doesn't like that. Um, Sometimes when I get a gift, I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? (laughs) Like, thanks a lot. Okay. Especially if they're like tissue paper flowers. Just kidding. Someone gave me an avocado tree once as a gift, and it's like, what the That's hell? A great gift. It's like, what do you mean it's a great gift? I had no place to put it. I lived in an oh apartment. Oh my god, that's amazing. I had no place to put it. I'm gonna grow an avocado, avocado tree, tree in my house. Do you have a backyard? A Not porch? at the time. Oh, that's so funny though. 
I'm going to start giving that to everybody and send them avocado trees for the birthday. I think I like quality time because it's a matter of like, I always really enjoyed family holidays um, and just kind of like the being there and the everyone kind of in that space um, and never needing to be the center of the attention and just kind of always enjoying it, but playing a part um, was always something that was really just loving and comforting to me. And how did your parents give love? I think certainly in that way. I do recall quality time experiences with, you know, my both my parents. Um, yeah. And then wanting affirmation in that way by being seen. Yeah. It's so hard for me to understand and relate to people who don't have a high desire for understanding of words. I, I honestly can't, like, how do you not see that this is important? But I recognize that everybody has a different placement on the value of the expression. And, but to me, words are so important and so descriptive and just this, this like what's inside comes out through your words. And so how else would you express yourself? And that's been hard for me in relationships where my partner didn't feel that way. And I was with somebody who, whose love language was time. And it, that was so hard because as I said, I don't have time and I don't value it in mm. the same way. I like the security of knowing somebody's there. Like we're together, we're secure, we're, we're here, but I just got a lot of stuff to do. And for him, time together, like that was a sticky area for us because he would take it personally, which I understand and got offended when I chose other things. And it was, a, it was hard. And, and probably in his mind, it was baffling for him that I didn't value it in the same way that he did. It's hard to understand because it's literally a different language. I think my not enjoying getting gifts is probably the reason why I didn't give a lot of gifts to Tamar as well. Mm -hmm. To my ex. Yeah. Because I didn't think they were a worthwhile thing to do. It's like, what the fuck, what the fuck is she going to do with it after I give it to her? Right. It's just going to sit there, but she did, did she, always appreciate it when I did give her gifts. Did she ask, did she verbalize that that's important for her and ask for you to give it to her more or was that hard for her? No, but I could tell that she would appreciate it when I did it at random times. You know, I was yeah. always good with birthdays and anniversaries and whatnot, uh, and Mother's Day as well, although I screwed that up a couple of times. Uh, but, you know, there were also random times where I brought gifts where I thought of her in particular. Um, sometimes it was, you know, a red velvet cupcake that she enjoyed, uh, or it was, you know, something else that she had seen in the store, you know, something to affirm that. Um, but uh, just never... I think probably did it as much as other guys probably do other husbands probably do, or even maybe just not enough for her in that way. And right. I also remember feeling particularly sad when she and I didn't do the things that I really enjoyed as quality time that we had once done early on in our relationship. We had done a lot of cuddling on the couch and watching TV together. And that was a lot of fun for me. That was something that I really enjoyed and we stopped doing that. Yeah. So in the relationships that you had since, I know you haven't had anything too long-term, but the ones that you felt more excited about or more yeah. comfortable or better in, did, was there a shared language? I don't think there's been a shared language, but there's certainly been a shared expression of what those love languages are, right? So at least we're more aware of them more conversation around it oh yeah sure like i enjoy yeah. this sort of thing what do you enjoy right what can i do that sort of thing right 
what and do you I think that's appreciate. a reflection of sorry no cut you off. Yeah. yeah do you think that's a reflection of being older having spent more time in the process of understanding yourself or the culture that supports this kind of self-help that if you were 20 now in dating you'd also be aware of your love language and having those conversations it's a good question i've heard that um what's your love language is the, is the new what's your sign <laughs> right like that's what it i is. see it on dating apps all the time on people's profiles what their love languages are that was one of the things i noticed on the yeah on the dating apps too um was put your love language up there uh, but i think there's also a lot of other stuff if you really wanted to you know tell someone about yourself or be that self-aware it wouldn't only be what are your love languages it would be what's your attachment style which would be good for us to talk about what's your conflict management style which would be good for us to talk about it would be are you aware of your cognitive distortions and your mental feedback loops uh, and how would you describe yourself spiritually at this moment right how emotionally intelligent do, okay are you? read uh, let's readers listen to that's how old I am. Readers. <laughs> Everything's still a are, book to you. You are reading with your ears. Uh, I love that progression. Let's do some yeah, no, I, into that. That's cool. Well, I think that would be like, all right, you really want to know who I am? Here's the whole fucking makeup, right? There's the structure. In my 41 years of life, this is what I've been able to tell you about myself. This is what I can tell you about myself right now. It's not just about quality time, lady, right? I, this is the, this is the, you know, the, the shortcut to quality time. Right. You get to know me over quality time. This is what you'll figure out. But this is what yeah. you're in the store for. Yeah. That's the, what the question is, shit. is uh, I think there's something very valuable in building relationships with that. Let's call it the shadow side, right? Kind of the under yeah. belly of our personality being present in the conversation rather than surprise a year later. Look, I've got shit. But the question is how much, how soon, right? Do you lay it did out you, or is this slow progression? Did you and I talk about this, about what uh, Krista Tippett and Alan DeBoton talked about? No, we didn't talk about it on here. Krista Tippett had a great, ha has a great podcast on being through NPR, mm -hmm. um, which is just great spiritual content of all kinds. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had Alan DeBoton, who is a well-recognized philosopher of love. And it was mm -hmm. around Valentine's Day and they were talking about the first date and how on the first date. Oh, we did expected, talk about this, how right. to have a little bit of vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, show them the, the ugly parts of yourself. Okay. A little bit though. A little bit, a little bit. Not the ugly point. parts, but to, but to show vulnerability. Right. Right? Right. To like show I was nervous as in, but that's not showing your ugly parts. That's, I was nervous to come tonight. And that just shows that you have a vulnerable side instead of showing with, up with false bravado of, I don't give a shit. But yeah, but I also think it's a little bit more than that. I think it is, I think it is kind of, you know, um, there are times where I really question as to whether or not I'm a success. Right, bearing some- I don't know if you should put that on on a first date. I think it's a real human thing to say. It's a superhuman thing to say, but I think that there's a balance. I think, I think there's a level of revealing and maybe not this, that's, 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 that's deep. That's mm -hmm. like a really big 
deep dive into your insecurity and the depth of who you are, which is a really fantastic and important conversation to have. Um, I think this is probably I, the part of the disproportionate nature I feel as a rabbi and being able to discuss these things so openly and other people not being able to so easily or openly. I have a similar, I don't want to say problem, but a similar tendency. And this is actually a conversation I've been having very lately with close friends of not wanting to play a game, but also recognizing that there is human nature and there are somewhat laws of attraction. So I don't want to manipulate and I don't want to play game. And I certainly don't want to play hard to get. I actually, but there is a development of, and, and you're a fan of Esther Perel. Esther Perel talks about this also of maintaining intimacy, maintaining mystery and excitement. Mm. And there is mystery and excitement is what's not known. How do you, you know, show up, be present, be yourself, but also not like, like, blah. <laughs> But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about vomiting it all out there and turning into a therapy session. I think there's something comfortable in being able to say that like something I wrestle with, right, is whether or not I'm actually succeeding at life. Right. And I wonder if that is a little, I wonder because I'm, I actually tend to be more like you in terms of like, Hey, let's be real. Let's just jump right into it. Um, And I wonder about it. I think it'd be different if I sat there and went like, oh my God, and I really don't know if this is anything that I can handle. And I start like overreacting and spinning out of control, right? And putting all my problems on there, you know? But I think depending on your outlook and how you handle those things, that's a completely different thing because I think then you're demonstrating something really unique about yourself. I see that from an authentic, realistic, pragmatic place. But then from the other side of understanding the dynamics between, in this scenario, men and women, of attraction, of Romans, yes. normal people. <laughs> you know, is that is that what we would call in the field best practice? <laughs> <laughs> is that dating best practice? And I was I was talking to a, a friend, and he said that he was dating somebody and Things were going seemingly well. And then she told him he was too available. <laughs> She's like, I needed you to be more scarce. She said, if you had been more scarce, I, I would have been more interested. That he answered the phone right away. He texted back right away. He was honest and upfront and showed up on time. And she honestly admitted that it was, it wasn't attractive to her. Which is wild because logically that makes no sense. It's fucking mind blowing. And that's the type of shit that drives men crazy. Because there is not one predictable thing. And you'd think, you'd think, by the way, that with everything that we've been taught about showing up on time and being present and being polite and being responsive, right, that that would get some form of like credit or, you know, form of attractiveness. Because at a baseline, that is what is expected of people. If you were entirely flaky or never responded, right, you'd be considered an asshole. And so where, how can you possibly win with that? You've set up an impossible scenario. I, I, that's the question that I've been having and talking about because I think it's an impossible scenario. It's people want honesty, predictability, reliability, safety, intimacy. And at the same time, they want, don't be too available to me. If you're too available, maybe you're desperate or maybe there's something. Why? I think it comes down to a struggle between 
ego and insecurity that we have both of them. First of all, no, no, no. Let's also locate where that fucking problem is. It's inside the head of that woman who says you're too available. I think she was. It's not inside inside the guy's head. No, it's not in the guy's head. I think, though, that she is a representation of what of what many of us believe and think and some act on. But I think our ego wants us to be with people who are great and who are like, you know, better than us or present to the world as amazing. But then if they're too available to us, our insecurity says, hey, wait a minute, why do they like us? Why are they so available? Why do they want to be with us? And then I think that's that push and pull of when somebody pulls away and it's hard to get our insecurity says them (laughs) because if they don't like us, they must be better than us and they don't really see us. So it's that loop between our ego and our insecurity that keeps this insanity going on. And it's really hard to keep up with. So the answer is clearly bullshit. Delete delete all your apps and learn to play ukulele and garden (laughs) (laughs) because at least you'll get a skill. (laughs) I call bullshit. That's I think that's what I think it is. It is bullshit, but there's it's there's something that there's a dynamic here that is humanistic, and as much as we hate it, I think it exists and it's it's natural and primal. And I think instead of fighting it, we need to understand it and then use it to our advantage. I wonder if that's something <laughs> take over the world. I want to, I wonder if it's something to do with like wanting wanting partnership, but also wanting independence, right? Like you got to be there, but like, I don't need you there all the time. Yeah. For some people that would, I think that that would be more a conversation and attachment of people's attachment styles of like, whoa, you're getting a little too close. <laughs> That's more of an avoidant attachment style. of I, uh... Right. But if you are reaching out, right. And you want someone to pick up, I mean, so here's a good, here's a good question, right? I was dating a woman once and she called regularly and I picked up the phone. I was responsive in that way. And then there was two days in a row in which I couldn't do this, just so incredibly busy and forgot completely to reach back out because I just thought we'd talk again. Uh, she sends me a text, you know, on the third day and she says, are you mad at me? Right. So what is that? Is that an attachment style thing? Yeah. I mean, a lot of things, but uh, Yeah. If you wanted to categorize it, I would say that's attachment. And to me, that's also perspective and getting lost in our stories, right? So she's at home, she's calling you, you're not answering. Normally you do, you don't reach out, you don't answer. She's now going crazy in her stories of, oh my God, what did I do? Now he's ignoring me, it's over. For whatever reason, her history, her beliefs, all her vulnerabilities feed into that story making. And we do that all the time. Were you able to resolve or was she already too stuck in the story to break out of it? No, she asked me if I'm mad. I was mad. I said, no, I wasn't. I was just really busy. I apologized for not having been in touch. And then in all the other moments in which I couldn't pick up the phone at that time, I made sure to send her a text message. Like if I was on the phone or if I was doing something, I'd send a text message and say, sorry, I can't pick up right now. Can I call you later? So conscientious of you. Thank you. I tried. That was was very sweet, right? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Covered a lot of topics here today. My gosh. Look what Bill and Melinda Gates did. Always so philanthropic, right? Philanthropic. Well, I haven't, let's bring it back to them. I like this, this like, this let's close the, it up, wrap it up with them. Did you, I haven't deep dive. Did they say anything more about their divorce other than they cannot continue to grow together? Are there any more details about why? I mean, I think that's a pretty deep thing in and of itself, right? What does it mean to grow together? 
And that probably means knowing each other's love languages and learning more about each other in that way. And your, I mean, you know, or it's a bullshit styles. thing to put out to the world. If you have to give a statement to the world, like we didn't have to give, we didn't have to give a statement to the world about our divorce. <laughs> You're right. But what would that statement have looked like if we had to? Oh, it's definitely a little bit, you know, more to ease. I think investors than anything else. Yeah. yeah. That's actually a funny exercise to do. What would your public statement to the world look like following your divorce about why you got divorced? I remember mine. Your public statement? We can no longer continue to grow together. Yeah, it wasn't like that at all. What was your public statement? It was a little bit more honest. I mean, it wasn't wasn't nitty gritty details. Can you share? Do you remember? Can I share? I can't remember. No, I can't recall it off the top of my head. I haven't been for us to talk about it. But um, no, but it was something to the effect of you know, we've tried to make it work, but ultimately we couldn't. It wasn't my decision, but I'm honoring it anyway. And we're trying the best to make it a healthy environment for our family, you know, as we move through this. And so, um, you know, if you see us in public or something like that, right, know that this is something that we're going through um, uh, and know that we've told our children about it, which is why you're receiving this. Um, You sent out like a mass email? Did people respond? Yeah. And I said to people, look, uh, I would love some comfort right now. I'm certainly going to need it. So if you reach out, I would appreciate it. I can't guarantee that I'll be able to respond that much because it's just a very difficult time for me. But I certainly appreciate the love uh, that you do share. So whatever you can provide would be great. And they did. A bunch of people did. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if we sent out an email. It's so long ago. I don't remember. But if you want the love, you got to ask for it, right? Maybe that's the message that we draw from all of this. In order to grow from what grow together, you have to ask someone to help love you. And all the money in the world won't necessarily help. That's right. It doesn't hurt. Right. <laughs> Who couldn't have another private jet just to get away from your partner when you? <laughs> that was my dad. My parents have been married for a million years. That's the accurate number. Um, and that's one of my dad's favorite jokes when he says, he talks about a plane ticket, ticket for one, vacation for two. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is the ethos on which they have built their marriage, their successful marriage. You know, they've made it, they're still chugging along. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Send us your jokes, friends, about how you made your marriage work through your love languages. We would love to hear them or your real stories about how you made it work through your love languages. Or did it. Or or didn't make it work, right? Yeah. Where'd you fail at your love languages? No, I'm curious. Here's what I'm curious. People are listening. Because I really question, can relationships be successful with different love languages? So in your experiences of dating and marriage, have love languages played into it? And if so, how so? Yes. And you know what we didn't talk about was also how distance might be another good love language too, giving people space. Which is kind of like the reverse maybe of quality. Are you adding a love language, Noam? I'm sorry, I apologize. I shouldn't be doing that now. Yes. So, but send it to us at the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com or check us out on the web at www.thejewishdivorceproject.com. Or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, the Jewish Divorce Project, where we post and are happy to engage so reach out and ask any questions and send us your stories well can't wait to hear um let me just say my favorite uh 
Bill and Melinda Gates meme. Um, meme. Okay. Yeah. It was May the 4th. Happy Star Wars Day. May divorce be with you. Ha 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 ha. Ha 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 ha. Bye, everyone. <laughs> mm -hmm.